This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for August 10th, 2018. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. A recent statement by President Trump has become the centerpiece of a renewed debate in Washington and around the country. Is the press an enemy of the people? As tensions continue to rise in the White House briefing room, what is the state of relations between the press corps and the Trump administration? And how did we reach this point? For answers, we turn to a veteran press secretary and communications expert, Mike McCurry. He served as White House press secretary during the Clinton administration, taking tough questions when the story first broke linking the president to Monica Lewinsky. But first, this recent exchange between the current White House press secretary, Sarah Sanders, and CNN's chief White House correspondent, Jim Acosta. Jim. I just wanted to follow up on, uh, on Sarah's question from NPR. She asked you about Ivanka Trump's statement that the press is not the enemy of the people. And she asked you whether or not the press is the enemy of the people. You read off a laundry list of your concerns about the press and and things that you feel like are misreported, but you did not say that the press is not the enemy of the people. And I I, I think it would be a good thing if you were to say right here uh, at this briefing that the press, the people who are gathered in this room right now, uh, doing their jobs every day, asking questions of officials like the ones you brought forward earlier, are not the enemy of the people. I, I, I think we... We deserve that. I think the president has made his position known. I also think it's ironic. I'm I'm trying to answer your question. I I politely waited, and I even called on you, despite the fact that you interrupted me while calling on your colleague. I said it's ironic. Which is why I interrupted. I'm trying. But if you you finish, if you would not mind letting me have a follow-up, that would be fine. It's ironic. Jim, uh, that not only you and the media attack the president for his rhetoric uh, when they frequently lower the level of conversation in this country. Repeatedly, repeatedly, the media resorts to personal attacks without any content other than to incite anger. Uh, The media has attacked me personally on a number of occasions, including your own network, said I should be harassed as a life sentence, that I should be choked. ICE officials are not welcomed in their place of worship and personal information is shared on the Internet. When I was hosted by the Correspondents Association, of which almost all of you are members of, you brought a comedian up to attack my appearance and call me a traitor to my own gender. In fact, as I know, um, I'm as far as I know, I'm the first press secretary in the history of the United States that's required secret service protection. The media continues to ratchet up the verbal assault against the president and everyone in this administration. And certainly we have a role to play, but the media has a role to play for the discourse in this country as well. That exchange between White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders and CNN's Jim Acosta from the White House briefing room earlier this month and somebody quite familiar with that room, Mike McCurry, former press secretary to President Bill Clinton. As you listen to that exchange, What's your reaction? My reaction is it's the worst of everything that's going on right now because you've got the media posturing because they cannot accept the premise that they are the enemy of the people and they need to counteract that. And you've got a White House that just is sticking to talking points and not providing the kind of information that the American people need day in and day out. So... In a way, it it really worried me a lot to hear that exchange and sort of say, what could be done to change the environment there? And I I don't know what that is. I mean, I'm you know part of me says, 
It's not going to change until we have a different president. But uh, both sides behaved in a way that doesn't promote what we think of as kind of the fundamentals of our democracy, which is the press is an adversarial institution to those in power, and it should be, and they need to hold people in power accountable. But they need to do it in some atmosphere of amicability and respect and professional uh, accommodation for each other. And there's none of that now. And it just, uh, it, it just it's a little bewildering. And I, I just don't know how we get out of this situation. Is it unique to this president, or has it been building for many years? I think it's been building for many years. I don't think it's it's. It, I mean, Trump has accelerated and defined deviancy down, as my former boss Daniel Patrick Moynihan would have put it at one point. Uh, but you know, the relationship between the press and the White House has been in some serious slow decline for a long time. And uh, it, it, that was certainly true in some respects during President Obama's time there. And uh, I, I, I really worry about that because that fundamental respect that you have to have for the truth and believing that the American people deserve good information about what's happening at the White House, what the president is doing, what we are you know, trying to accomplish as a country, and then what the press thinks are the critical questions that need to be asked. That's a very important, fragile relationship that is critical to our democracy, and it is badly frayed right now, and I, I worry about that. I want to come back to the current environment in just a moment, but let's take a step back, Mike McCurry. Every president, from John Kennedy, who had live news conferences, to Richard Nixon, his Oval Office addresses, Ronald Reagan moving those news conferences prime time, trying to go above and around the White House press corps. How did Bill Clinton try to do that? Well, I, you know, we accepted as a reality that the press corps was there. And, you know, my daughter likes to remind me that I was a, a big wheel at the President Clinton's White House in the last century. And it was the last century. There was still a point at which the mainstream media had the ability to shape and define a national dialogue, but that's all splintered now because of the rise of social media, so many other access points that people have for content. And uh, But, you know, we fundamentally took that daily press briefing as an opportunity to try to get our case across, but we also understood that we would be held accountable and have questions coming to us that might not be comfortable, but that we had some responsibility to answer. And we spent a lot of time gathering information, getting things together. When I went out and did my briefing, you know, I knew I would face some tough questioning sometime about some issues, but that was part of the job. And that that seems to be gone now. And um, it's a rather astonishing to me that, that nobody speaks up for the role of having this critical engagement of people who have to be accountable and speak to what the government is doing, what the president is doing, what the White House is doing without challenge. And that's um, not a good place to be. Your predecessor, Marlon Fitzwater, who served in both the George H.W. Bush administration and Reagan administration, would allow the first five to seven minutes of the briefing on camera, and then the cameras were turned off. You have said in the past that you regret opening up the briefing to C-SPAN cameras and the network cameras, but wasn't that inevitable? 
Well, <clears throat> yes, but at first an ode to Marlon Fitzwater, as you pointed out, the only guy who's ever served as press secretary to two presidents and, and a wonderful person. But he was in that transition period where we realized that the White House Daily Press Briefing was going to become some kind of broadcast available event. And, and, and frankly, we're on talking on radio. It was the radio reporters that came to me initially when I worked for Bill Clinton and said, you know, we are at a disadvantage because we can't use the sound from the daily briefing, you know, to you in our reports. And we have to report every hour on the hour, and it, it, that's a disadvantage to us. So I allowed broadcast coverage of the White House daily press briefing, but I made one fatal mistake, which was I allowed uh, – I didn't, made, didn't put any restrictions on live broadcasts. And I think if I had gone back and done it again – I would have said, look, you can record all of this for broadcast, but it's not a live event. This is a press briefing. You are reporters. You get the information that we offer up here at this briefing. Then you go check it with other sources. You go to other places and then put your reports together and give the American people a more thorough account of what's happening out. I think once it became kind of a live show, and by the way, and – became more popular at some times than the soap operas that were on in the afternoon. It, it became theater of the absurd. People began posturing. You played a little bit of some posturing by both Mr. Acosta and Sarah Sanders earlier. And I, that's not what this briefing should be about. It should be about keeping the American public well-informed, which is something, in theory, both sides want. You know, the American presidency wants better information out about what they're doing because they think it's good. And, of course, the press wants to report truthfully on what the White House is doing. But we've lost track of that. And uh, I think we're paying some price for that mistake that I made, which was not to put restrictions on the briefing in the first place. You have been asked this question often, but for those listening on C-SPAN Radio and this podcast, what is the job of the White House press secretary? Well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll define it by the geography of the West Wing, not the one that we see on TV sometimes, but the, 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 the real office. And the press secretary's office is in this great place in the West Wing where in the front door reporters gather, but there's a back door when you need to escape. <laughs> and the, if you turn right from that back door 50 feet away, you're in the Oval Office. You turn left 50 feet away, you're in that briefing room that people are familiar with because that's where the podium is and that's where you see the briefing. And that geographically defines the job. You're halfway between the president and the press corps. And you've got to balance that equation and keep both sides of that equation happy if you're going to be successful in the role. Now, recognizing that there's only one guy who pays your paycheck, which is the president, so your ultimate loyalty is obviously there. But if, if you don't service the press and be their advocate and explain why they do the things they do to other people in the White House who are sometimes highly skeptical and very cynical, then you can't fulfill that role. And, you know, with all due respect, and, you know, that's a Washington phrase, uh, the, the current White House press secretary in the current administration just says has no appreciation of that careful balance in this adversarial relationship. And I think 
that is something that is ultimately very troubling. Is freedom of press under fire? Yes. <laughs> and it, it, I mean, when you have a president that declares the press the enemy of the people and that some portion of the American public, maybe say 25%, adhere to that belief, then we are losing something that is fundamentally important in the way in which our founders constructed this uh, government and our republic and our constitution. I mean, we, the freedom of the press is protected in the First Amendment for a very specific reason, because they knew that there would have to be accountability for those who held power and that they would need to have some vigorous, open, critical dialogue in order to keep people who had power in check. And uh, I'm not sure this president and the current press secretary has any appreciation of that very, very important constitutional principle. Let me go back to another president and another press secretary, but a familiar news organization, The Washington Post. This is December 1972, a conversation between President Richard Nixon and his press secretary, Ron Ziegler. Hello. Mr. Ziegler, sir. Hi. Hi, Ron. Yes, Mr. President. I just talked to Connie. He fully understands the Washington Post uh, situation. There was no reporter today at the the, uh, uh, ceremony. There was a photographer there, but apparently they uh, screwed up on their desk assignment today, and uh, there was no reporter present from the Post. I want it clearly understood that from now on, ever, no reporter from the Washington Post is ever to be in the White House. Is that clear? Absolutely. It, unless it's a press conference. Yes, sir. In now, the briefings here. but uh, in, a briefing. In but never, never in the White House. No church service. Nothing that Mrs. Nixon does. You tell Connie, don't tell Mrs. Nixon because she'll approve it. No reporter from the Washington Post is ever to be in the White House again. And no photographer either. Is that clear? Yes, sir. None ever to be in. Now, that is a total order, and, the, and if, if necessary, I'll fire you. You understand? I, I do understand. Okay. Yes. All right. Good. Okay. Thank you. December 11th, 1972, a year and a half later, Richard Nixon resigns the presidency. <laughs> you know, that, that, that is a great clip. We are uh, literally 44 years ago today, or maybe yesterday, Richard Nixon resigned from office because of the attitudes that he expressed in that clip. His disdain for the role of the press, his orders to White House staff to actually subvert the law and obstruct justice, and uh, it ultimately led to the end of his presidency. Now, are we at or approaching a similar point? And maybe we are. Because you cannot have a president who willfully says, we're gonna, we're excluding the press. We're going to banish these reporters. We're not going to allow this news organization to participate in keeping the American people informed. Because that is disdainful and repugnant to everything that we cherish and the freedoms that we have here in America. And that's what again now, almost uh, you know, half century later, is again at test in what we're dealing with these days. 
Why do you think Donald Trump has such disdain for the media? Because he used the media when he ran for the presidency. He is on Fox all the time. He seems to pick and choose uh, his media outlets. But why do you think he views the media in general an enemy of the people? Um, because I think in his experience, he was a salesman. You know, he was a, he used the media for his commercial purposes and the work that he did in New York as a real estate developer. And he cannot <clears throat> cannot understand why he cannot manipulate the press here in Washington the same way he did in New York when he was working as a commercial real estate developer. And the answer is because he's in a whole different job now, and he doesn't understand that, and I'm not sure he's qualified to be in the job that he's in, quite frankly. But understanding and recognizing what these fundamental principles are about freedom of the press and the right of people to have their you know, reporters there to represent them, to hold those in power accountable, that, that, that seems, seems to be some foreign concept to him and to some of the people who work for him. And uh, that, again, that, that's just not the way it should be. <laughs> and and he, he will eventually pay the price for that that I think Richard Nixon eventually paid for. I mean, I think it's entirely conceivable he will not finish a first term without having to resign or something will happen or there'll be some constitutional crisis. I mean, God forbid. Really? You believe that? I believe that. I, I, I just, I think at some point, you know, he's got a very strong and steady 25% of the American public that will be supportive of him. But at some point, we get to the point where at least 50% of the American people say, this is not the way this country needs to be run. And then I think then that's when things begin to happen. Now, what, what will happen? I don't know. I mean, could it happen before the end of his first term? Maybe. Uh, it certainly will be an issue and become part of the 2020 presidential campaign. Um, but, you know, the, the, this is this is a bad situation we're in. And I, you know, I look, I don't, I, I, I don't like to be like, I say, well, I've just been around Washington too long. And, and it has been a long time that I've been around I'm, uh, here in Washington, but I've never seen the acrimony and the divisiveness and the polarization as bad as it is right now. And I think a lot needs to be done about that. There, you know, we've got to address that as a country and, Citizens who care about things, people who listen to C-SPAN radio are probably very interested in the way in which our government processes work. And we all ought to care about that, regardless of what political persuasion that we have. You worked for members of Congress at the State Department and in the Clinton White House. At any point, did anyone say you need to lie about something? No, I, I can thankfully say say. <laughs> and truthfully say that no one ever said you need to go out and lie about things. And because I, that, that just is not something that is acceptable and nobody in power, no president, no secretary of state, no senator would have ever said go out and lie on my behalf because everyone knows that just not is the way, that's not the way things get done here. Now, I famously once said, Sometimes you have to tell the truth slowly, <laughs> and that was in reference to 
Uh, you may know that we're going to try to launch an attack against Osama bin Laden, and you don't want to telegraph that to the rest of the world. That's the context for the time in which I said that. But there are some times where you cannot relate everything that you know at that moment, and you can't be utterly and completely truthful, but you have to kind of keep steering towards the truth. You know, anytime you divert and mislead people or say something that is not completely accurate, you pay a price for that. You know, every press secretary who's gotten in trouble and has had to, you know, leave office, and Ziegler that you played earlier is a good example of that, it's because someone didn't tell them something that they needed to know. And then suddenly they have to backtrack and say something is, well, that's inoperable, what I said before. You know, that's what Ziegler got in trouble for. But that's what you, you have to avoid that. You, you work hard if you believe in the truth and try to, you, you believe in keeping the American people well informed. That's what you struggle with day in and day out to make sure I have all the information that I need to have so I can go out and report truthfully to the American people what's happening. And if I can't say everything I know because it's national security reasons or you don't want to put people's lives in jeopardy, then you make that clear. And the press accepts that. You know, they know sometimes you can't say everything that you know because there, there are operational security things going on and other, other questions. But we've, we've turned a lot of that completely upside down in this administration. And I, I, I wish there was a larger and more valuable conversation about exactly that subject going on, which I appreciate you raising <laughs> The issue. Well, one of the tests for you came in January 1998. The Monica Lewinsky story was beginning to unfold. You were in the briefing room. Let's listen to a portion of how you addressed reporters' questions. Do you personally feel confident that you know what kind of relationship the president had with Monica I, I, My personal feelings are immaterial. I'm here to report on the president's actions, his activities, and the way the White House responds institutionally to efforts. Well, you have well, enough information. That's what yeah, Okay. Do you have enough information, not your feelings about it, but do you have enough information to be able to answer well, these questions accurately? Clearly, we don't have all the information we would like, and we're in the process of assembling the information that we need, as the president indicated earlier today. There's extensive requests for information from, uh, you know, Mr. Starr. There's not a room in the White House that's called the truth room where you go and lock the door and it's all sitting there. You know, you have to go and collect this information and ask people their memories and assemble the kinds of records and materials that have been requested. And we've become pretty good at that now because we've had a lot of experience doing that. So that's what the kind of work they're doing. The essence of the question is, do you believe the president's staff is being honest with you? I, absolutely. I believe everyone's working hard to try to get answers to these questions, sure. It's that some of the questions are simple, but the follow-up questions and the inquiry, <clears throat> the persistence with which you would continue to pursue the matters, uh, is not so simple. And that's where you have to do hard work to get answers. Mara, let's take one at a time, okay? Yeah. I should point out, you're sitting in our studios laughing right now. What, what's going through your mind? <laughs> oh, I'm just so glad I don't have that job anymore. <laughs> Did you know more than you were telling reporters? No, no. And, and there, there's a long history of that, and I will not bore your audience with that. But one decision we had to make in that situation very clearly is that, look, the president had questions about his personal behavior, and we were not going to be able to get access to all the information that would answer questions that were like the ones that you just heard being asked. 
And that was it was just so contrary to the way in which I had done my job because my job, I felt, was getting good information and answering all the questions that the press had. But when it came to, like, the president's personal relationship and what is it, the one thing I did not do, which was different from Ron Ziegler, who you played earlier, was I said, I'm not going to dig this hole deeper, and I'm not going to try to explain things that I don't know the answer to. So when the president said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Monica Lewinsky, which is what this was all about, I didn't amplify on that. I stuck with the answers that had been given to me by the president's lawyers, and I'm glad I did that because if I had tried to start explaining away personal behavior, filling in the gaps and trying to answer some of the questions like the ones that you just played, I would have dug the hole deeper because at the end of the day, of course, President Glenn had to admit he did have an inappropriate relationship and some of what had been, you know, he had said was not accurate. But I think we were careful, very careful, not to try to explain away things that we didn't really know the answers to. And that that is an important part of this job, to know what you know and know what you don't know and know what the definition and the boundaries are between what you can say and not say. I mean, that is a always in all parts of the job of being a press secretary of the White House is part of what you have to struggle with. And if you make the wrong decision on some of those things, it's it's grievous because you put the presidency in peril and obviously you put yourself in some personal peril too, which, you know, I was not interested in having big legal bills because I said, you said such and such at the briefing and so now you're in a court of law or you're giving testimony in front of a grand jury and You've got, you know, a world of hurt when it comes to what your personal legal exposure is. So we were pretty careful about the way in which we handled a lot of that stuff. But that, that you know, my, my point would be that was like a weird episode. And it was contrary to the way in generally in which I think the job should be done, which is you've got to struggle hard and work hard to get all the information the American people need. And when it comes to the president's personal behavior or his personal relationships, you know, then you're not responsible for that because you represent the presidency, not the individual person. I mean, yes, there's a little bit of spin and other stuff that goes into it, but it's it's a different assignment. So let's bring it back to the current administration. Listen to what Sean Spicer said in January of 2017. Just a week and a half before he became White House press secretary, he was at the University of Chicago. Look, I, I've spent, as David mentioned, I've spent 17 and a half years in the Navy as a public affairs officer. I spent three years in the Bush administration, served 11 different members of Congress in some capacity, mostly as a spokesperson. I, I believe that you, the one thing that whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, you have your integrity. Um, I may tell a reporter I can't comment on something or, um, you know, I, I'm not able to discuss that, but I've never lied. And I don't think, and I don't intend, I, I would argue that anybody who's an aspiring um, communicator adhere to that because you if you lose your the respect and trust of the press corps you, you got nothing sean spicer in january 2017 he stayed on as press secretary for six months well his advice and counsel there is exactly right and the fact that he did not follow his own advice is what got him in trouble and it began with when he willfully 
misrepresented the size of the crowd at the inauguration. I think I don't think he ever recovered from that singular episode, which was his very first day on the job. And, you know, part of me feels sorry for him um, and his circumstances. I mean, we, the, the collection of people who have been press secretaries have a fairly tight bond with each other, and, you know, we all understand what it's like to stand at that podium. But he put himself in personal peril because he served a president who doesn't respect these very things that we cherish. So the head rots from the, you know, the fish rots from the head down. And it wasn't Sean Spicer's problem that his boss is the one that wanted him to go out and lie on his account. And, uh, you know, I, it, it, raises the issue for anyone who's in that kind of circumstances. How can I stick around here? How can I serve this? I mean, it's a great job to have. It's a wonderful place to work. It's a thrill to go into the White House every day and say, I work here. But at some point you say the cost of doing that is greater than what the benefit is of what I get as a, as a result of working here. At an event sponsored by the White House Historical Association and the White House Correspondents Association, in February of this year, you gave this advice to Sarah Sanders, who was seated next to you. Your president has got to change the way he talks about the media. He has to, because it's, it's critical to how we hold our glue together and how our democracy functions. And he's, he, he, he's creating an environment in which it's hard for people to do this transaction of getting the public the information they need to have and for us to go out and do the job that we have to do, which is to take the hard questions, to get beat up by the press, which I understand that's part of the job, but it has to come from some level of respect that there is a critical role there. And the president's comments sometimes are sort of seem that he doesn't really respect what that critical relationship is about. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot. A a two-way street um, (coughs) that there is a level of respect that could be, I think, certainly brought from the press corps as well. Um, I mean, the idea that this is, you're going to lay the blame at the feet of the president, I find to be a little bit uh, far-fetched. Um, and again, I know that's probably not very popular in this room, but we do the very best we can to go out and actually present information. But a lot of times, frankly, the press doesn't care about it. They don't care about um, the information that we're putting out there, and they would rather talk about palace intrigue stories, and I, I, I find that to be a real disservice. Sarah Sanders with Mike McCurry in February of this year. Where are we today? Well, pretty much in the same place with no resolution to that question. And, you know, Sarah, on the one hand, was absolutely correct that every president chafes at the press coverage that they get. And, by the way, this goes all the way back to George Washington, who didn't like his press coverage. Even Thomas Jefferson has said, well, I'd rather have a democracy with the free press than, you know, without. He he hated the press coverage he got in many cases, too. Of course, that was a different time and we've had times in this uh, country's history in which the press was very partisan in its orientation but you know what I, I 
I was trying to get across to Sarah that she should take a stand against the idea that the press is the enemy of the American people. Uh, the press is adversarial. It's going to ask tough questions. It's going to make you uncomfortable. But that's part of the way in which we live into our democracy that we have. And I could not get in that exchange. You just played her to acknowledge that. There's been a more recent episode where Jim Acosta from CNN actually put it directly to her. You declare right here that, that the press is not the enemy of people, and she failed to take that opportunity. And I just find that astonishing. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I guess the question that, you know, if I were in your shoes, is, is this an anomaly? Are we living in some kind of weird place where we will years from now look back and say, man, that Trump thing was a whole weird experience, <laughs> and that's not the way our country really works? Or have we created a new normal? in which this kind of adversarial approach and the willingness to just go out and say, we offer our information, the press needs to report it the way we say it, uh, they ignore it, if they ignore it, they will pay a price for it, which is kind of at the fundamental core of what she was saying. She said, look, we've, you know, we put out all this good information and the press doesn't report it. Well, every press, I mean, I felt that way myself. Everyone always feels like you never report the good stuff we're doing. You don't report on palace intrigue or stuff that's controversial. But, you know, that's that's the way it works. And, and, and there is, at some point, a little shred of truth in her comment that the media seems to focus on the stuff that is more sexy and interesting and just momentarily, tangentially interesting rather than the stuff that's going to have any kind of long-term impact on the lives of the American people. Every press secretary feels like that. I felt that myself. So there is some kernel of truth to what she was saying there. But at the same time, you cannot have belligerent warfare against this institution, the fourth estate, the media, that is there to hold us accountable when we have this power that we've been given by the American people. And they just fail to recognize that. And I think that's, that, that's what is so troubling. Mike McCurry, we appreciate your perspective. Oh, you're, you're making me so depressed. <laughs> Let's talk about something good. Uh, well, thank you for stopping by our C-SPAN radio studios and joining us on The Weekly. It's always good to be with you, and congratulations on your very successful podcasting. This podcast, by the way, is also available on Spotify, the free C-SPAN radio app, or wherever you download your favorite podcast. We thank you for listening.